0: Morning. This podcast may contain strong language. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Film Fight, a film analysis podcast where we take two movies of similar genre and see what makes one better and why. I'm your co-host, Zach Becetta, and I'm here with my other co hosts television director and artist, Amber Hollinger. Hi, Amber. Hey, Zach.
0: (laughs) How are you doing?
1: Good. How how about yourself?
0: Not too bad. Easter Sunday, doing an Easter Sunday record. That's right. Yeah, Jesus supports it
1: absolutely all
0: roads lead
2: to
1: dick whoa who's that is that sound engineer and post-production guru steve walter
2: no that was amber that said that
1: oh my god my mistake um and and just just so he can go ahead and talk marketing strategist extraordinaire jim festano is also here as always
3: Hey, yep. And you know, uh, Amber said we're recording this on Easter, but you're probably listening to this in like October. Because <laughs> yeah, the- so happy Halloween. So <laughs> and we're so far behind on all these. It's, um, it's, it's only been two weeks. It's only
2: been two weeks. We get them out every two weeks, guys.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's uh, a good matchup this week, I think.
0: Yeah, marquee matchup. Goodness gracious. It is. Driving Miss Daisy versus Green Book. So what did we decide to call this one? This was- um, Oh boy, that's a good question. Oscar winning films, tackling racism through chauffeurs edition. That (laughs) works.
1: I like that one. (laughs)
2: So
1: we
0: we were talking about what we wanted the next matchup to be and Oscar season had just rolling around and we're not even gonna get into the whole thing that just happened recently with Will Smith and Chris Rock, but- Oh, did something happen?
2: <laughs>
1: I'll tell you about it later. Don't, don't okay,
2: worry. Okay, cool. I'm sure it was awesome. Yeah, yeah.
0: But we thought it like maybe having two Oscar contenders go up against each other and it just so happened that these two films won the oscar the year that they were nominated 29 Mm -hmm. years apart from each other and they had so many similarities Mm they're both based on true stories and they're both films that speak to racism and class system education and friendships built through experiences so
1: in in the first one driving miss daisy it's a black driver driving a white woman and in green book it's a white driver driving a black man
0: sounds like that old children's book harry the dirty dog
1: that's the yeah
0: he was a white dog with black spots and he became a black dog with black spots because he got dirty.
2: We were supposed to watch Driving Miss Daisy. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Uh,
1: didn't did make that
2: one? No, I didn't get that one. I got driving in Miss Daisy, <laughs> and it was totally awesome. It was did the it best racial issues at least. There was, yes. Okay, it nice. So people got tackled. There was, was race things. driver <laughs> i always I never know which one to watch I, I think that I remember watching Driving Miss Daisy in the theater. It came out wow. in nineteen eighty nine is that right yeah. it did I and saw it on um, yeah it it was uh I don't remember i think I went to see it with my family because jessica Tandy and and my mom and dad were interested to go see this film, and um I don't remember it. I remembered bits and pieces of it, and then we watched it together, didn't we?
0: Yeah. Did.
2: Just a couple of days ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like yesterday. It seemed like yesterday. And um, I I remembered uh, bits and pieces of it, and it it was interesting in that the acting, I felt, was really good in both movies, really good. and um, But the Driving Miss Daisy but we could talk about the plot a little We're bit. We're gonna but.
0: talk about it. Let's break these films down, Steve.
2: All right, here we go. Here's the breakdown. Oh, yeah. Time to break it down. Here we go, y'all. One, two, three,
0: four, five, six,
2: seven. And we know how it goes just like that forever, so. <laughs>
0: All right, well, let's start off with Driving Miss Daisy. We've got director, directed by Bruce Bresford. Sorry, Bruce, if I mispronounced your name. He has 54 directing credits to his name, but nothing, not too many things that I had heard of before. He did Mr. Church starring Eddie Murphy. I do remember the movie Double Jeopardy. He did Paradise Road. He's made several made-for-TV movies and a, a lot of shorts written by Alfred Yuri. He only has nine writing credits. Most noted of those would be Mystic Pizza, and he's done some documentaries, some videos, couple TV series in the 80s, but Driving with Stacey was originally a stage play that he had written, and then he also adapted it into a movie, and that play won the Pulitzer Prize in the drama category in 1980. Wow. Huh. Have I have never movie? seen
1: another Bruce Beresford movie, or another Alfred Urie movie for that matter.
0: It's a unique pairing. like a unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It stars Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd, Patty Lipone, and Esther Rolle. And if you don't know Morgan Freeman, you're probably in a coma. He's 142 acting credits to his name. For some reason, IMDB says, uh, you know have like the little uh, blurb at the top that says what they're best known for, mm-hmm. some random movies and nowhere on the list was Shawshank Redemption, which he won an Oscar for.
1: That is a, a tragedy.
0: It's just ridiculous. Uh, been in Million Dollar Baby and Seven and Bruce Almighty and Kiss the Girls and Deep Impact and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Glory. And I always love to get in voiceover work if they've done it for animation, to the voiceover work for we do.
2: March of the Penguins. That's right. Oh yeah. He, narr- he narrated that one.
0: That was a great documentary. I saw that. Um, He did some voices for Lego Batman, then Jessica Tandy, she's no longer with us, she's 66 acting credits, she won an Oscar for this role at the age of 81, oh my lord, and been in great movies like Fried Green Tomatoes, The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock, this lady's been around forever, Cocoon, Still of the Night, and then the other uh, name de jour would be Dan Aykroyd, of course, of Saturday Night Live fame. This was the only Oscar nomination that he's had in his film career, which is shocking. Uh, with a list like <laughs> Ghostbusters and Dragnet and Blues Brothers,
1: <laughs> you know, when we were watching Driving Miss Daisy, I was like Dan Aykroyd. That's similar to a Dan Aykroyd impression, and I couldn't put my <laughs> finger on it. And I finally realized it's his Jimmy Carter. Yes. Basically right. just doing Jimmy Carter. That's
2: right. That's right. From, from the Obama. Yeah. Oh, funny. You know, it's his character was, to me, the least developed. Even the cook, uh, the lady who, who died, had, had a more character development, in, in my opinion. His character was just kind of, it, it was just, yeah, it, it didn't make, didn't dig into it enough, I suppose. But maybe it wasn't the focus to be on him. It was supposed to be on the other two people. But certainly he was in the movie the second or the third most.
0: <laughs> what an oh, yeah. accolade for dan Aykroyd! um
2: he was the third most important in that movie
0: way to go dan to go, uh driving Miss daisy was released in 1989 music by hans zimmer which we'll talk about i'm sure and its runtime was one hour and 39 minutes then uh 29 years later released in 2018 green book green book Jettison's on the screen and we'll have to talk about some of the controversy. We can't not, tell you like that? Double negative, love it, Steve. I hate it. <laughs> the most interesting thing about this is the director and the writer. It's Peter Farrelly of the Farrelly brothers.
2: Yeah, I don't think I knew
1: that actually. That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> this his first
2: not comedy.
1: It, isn't comedy. it his first without his brother? I mean, he usually did uh, in a pair.
0: It's all his only drama and it's only solo act that I know of for sure. Right. Can say, but he has 22 directing credits to his name and Dumb and Dumber 2 is uh, you have to hit it. That's <laughs> Peter is responsible for that, for shallow hell, for something about Mary. This story is so 180 degrees different than anything he's ever done. He helped write it, he's got 27 writing credits. He wrote Hall Pass, he wrote the Three Stooges. I mean, ugh. And then we have two lesser known writers that came in and I think just to give it a little bit of authenticity and I'm gonna mispronounce his name, uh, Nick, probably La Jim, I have a better
2: one. That's that's the uh, son of yeah. Tony Lips. Yeah, Yeah. he goes real, the character's real life son. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, and Brian Hayes Curry and they each have less than twenty credits between them, so they're not uh, nothing that that hit the public eye except for this. So and it stars Vigo Mortensen and I think it's Mahershala Ali, mm-hmm. Mahershala Ali, and Linda Cardinelli.
2: Oh, Linda Cardellini,
0: Cardellini, Cardellini. Linda else be the
2: Maybe. Jim, you're the Italian one yeah <laughs> oh, <laughs> bravo bravo nice you know i i and all those people i just found out that i watched the movie today because i like to for it to be fresh in my mind um but all those people that were sitting around the table that was really his family that was actual those were not actors that was that really nico mortensen's family no it was no. vala vala the guy who wrote the movie and the guy who the
3: movie was about—it was gotcha. his family. Like his
2: grandkids and.
1: Oh,
3: well, Wasn't really was yeah. because I thought I thought one of the guys was like a one of the stand-up comedians I've watched before. He he looked like, a lot like uh, Nick Lapal. Like, uh, LaPau- La-
1: yeah, that was yeah, that was Sebastian Maniscalco playing the brother-in-law.
2: Oh, right, yeah, but that's a. A, yeah. a lot of the other, uh, I think the majority of the other people were his actual family, which I thought was interesting. And I read somewhere that they didn't tell Vigo that those guys weren't actors.
3: It's funny cause it seemed the really authentic. Cause I mean, you know, I do have an Italian family and um, it's a lot of like the, the way they interact with each other. It's very, it was, it was very kind of spot on as like, if I was like, I was kind of watching my uncles and aunts and my grandparents and stuff sitting around a table. Like when I was growing up and how the conversation goes and it's really loud and everyone talks over each other and it's, it's very animated. And were um, you like, were you,
1: are you Jimmy? I was, hey, I was, Jimmy?
3: I was, I was, I was li- actually, I was little Jimmy because my my dad was jimmy and i was little jimmy and i still am like if i go back home my cousins will still call me little jimmy and my dad's five like seven and i'm like six one so it's really (laughs) fun to go back you know and i'm little jim
2: is actually quite loud and animated in real life it's true like so it's like part of his the same way yeah it's awesome they're, they have that exuberance, which is fun.
0: They kept it pretty authentic in that regard. So they kept it really close uh, close to home. And that's probably what made it feel so real and authentic. I guess between takes, the <laughs> one of the relatives, one of the uncles would just keep eating the food. And they're like, no, no, you have to keep we have to keep doing this take until we get it and he's like what the fish is good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> is no prop food
2: yeah he was I, I think that whole uh the whole food thing was actually part of the characters like the pizza part specifically I read that that he really would eat pizza that way which I had done it's awesome to eat pizza like that but um not a full size pizza. I would get like the Tostitos ones that you would put in the oven and fold that in half and eat it. But he was eating like a full size pizza, and it looked so awesome. The way that all the food stuff was great in that movie. I mean, Viggo Mortensen. I think he gained like fifty pounds. Is that what I read? Something like that. It was they, ridiculous. They
0: asked if he would gain forty to fifty pounds, and he gained twenty. Oh, Okay. But he really <laughs> took that to seriously. That like yeah, for him, yeah. that was for him that was a big part of feeling that role was packing on those pounds but he couldn't quite get to the 40 or 50 thank goodness holy cow
2: it seemed like he was uh uncomfortable
0: <laughs> some of those times that yeah. he
2: was you know like uh, but he, he's so good so good in that movie i like i couldn't believe that he, i mean i was transported. his performance both of their uh, performances in green book were, were so so good and then you know grabbing miss daisy as well like the two main characters really did their job as far as acting in both of these movies. It's hard to pick, you know, which one is better. So the okay. guy you guys can't see. Uh, Amber brought up a picture. the The guy who actual the Tony Lip is is a real guy, and he was in The Sopranos. I think he was in like twenty three episodes of The Sopranos. Donnie Brasco, Goodfellas, The Godfather. The father,
1: the Godfather, yeah.
2: I mean, so uh, the guy was. uh, he was a real dude. And and this was later in his life when he was doing the acting, but um, a real dude. <laughs> he was a real guy. And I was convinced because I, my parents were like, oh, we have to see this with you. And I, and I was like scared that somebody was going to die at the end of it. Like one of them was going to die. I, I felt for sure like must- somebody was going to get shot or or Vigo's going to take a bullet for the guy. But thank goodness. Uh, but this maybe is a that,
1: feel good uh, racial film.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some tense moments there, but uh, nobody. Uh, spoiler alert: nobody dies.
1: But just to, comp- I I do find it interesting. Like I love Green Book as well, and watching it in comparison to Driving Miss Daisy. I mean, say would you know people have issues with with Green Book, and, and maybe we'll get into that. But I mean, Driving Miss Daisy, there was no conflict whatsoever. You know, other than like her not wanting a driver or whatever. But there was never a moment where we see Miss Daisy like defend morgan freeman or like she he won't she won't let him come to the freaking party and, and stuff but in green book i felt like at the very least like you do see these people grow you, you you see them help each other and sort of befriend each other and uh i thought i don't know it worked for me
2: you know even at the beginning of the movie uh, he threw away the glasses that the two electricians had used to drink out of and that's how A
1: of color yes
2: yeah they they um they established that really quick with the language and the behavior that He's a kind of stereotypical Italian of New York in the 50s. He's probably racist and probably. He's definitely racist. (laughs) To watch that transformation was really, really so interesting. And to watch Dr. Shirley, watched his transformation from a very sort of uh, fastidious, uh, like sort of, you know, didn't want to get his hands dirty, kind of, I'm not sure exactly what the word is, but to be able to like his transformation was equally satisfying and i didn't feel like there was any transformations really in miss daisy because it was only the first section of their meeting where they didn't where she didn't like him but all of a sudden they flash forward to the next time jump and i i and their friends
0: there were there were a lot of holes a lot of holes in driving miss daisy so I didn't see the theater. I'm
1: surprised they won. I mean, I guess it was better back then, but yeah. I-,
0: I recall, I remember it in my mind being something different. And when we watched it all together, I was like, wait a minute. So there, were, so there were some really big things for me that didn't play. And one of them was, oh my gosh, I guess there's a lot of them. One was like Steve is saying, no arcs. So I kept waiting for... Jessica Tandy to soften and for us to see some kind of building blocks between her and Holt. And then that never really happened. They just, she was always mean. I don't remember her being kind of a bitch. I think at one point she was just so mean to somebody. And the biggest laugh of the film I had when was when Zach was like, Oh, she's a card. That Daisy is a card. <laughs> yeah, she was. He was just totally mean. And then we jumped time like 10 years later without the little bits of, of moments that we need to build a relationship.
1: They took more time constructing clever ways to tell us what year it was. Oh, wait. And, like, that, I was going
2: to go into that because uh, it's, I have. I would have these notes. Hold on. Yeah, okay. So here comes this nice so in my notes uh, right off it says amber said 30 seconds in that daisy has a black maid and can't drive plus one then <laughs> sherlock jim saw the dates on the license plates and that's why i'm bringing that up because jim yeah. immediately within the first time travel whatever was like oh the 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 registration on the plates is a ten years later, and we were like, "What?
3: What? Well, yeah. Well, they focus on a license plate, which is which was odd. Exactly. We were like,
1: "Why are they showing us this?
3: Yeah, license <laughs> plate. Yeah. And Jim goes, it's nineteen sixty two, and we're like, "Huh?
0: Was
2: a when was team. it? i want
0: him in the crime scene, so he's going to take down take down What
2: evidence. was it? What was it? That, and then later on, it was like a was it a plate or something or something in the factory? Like there was other methods and it was And then like, there
1: was one where they were giving him an award and they're like, why Why do we need to know that he's getting this award? And it's like, yeah. oh, because it's whatever year it was. It's man of the year
3: 19, whatever, yeah.
0: <laughs> he's been working here for 40 years. Um, in the marquee in the background was supposed to let you know that it was 1948, kind of like a, um, a landmark. It was all filmed, Miss Daisy was all filmed in Atlanta, Georgia, and I believe, um, all of Green Book was filmed in Louisiana.
2: Except for one part. They filmed one part in New York, one scene.
0: Wait, Steve, I have down here in my notes that you thought Holt's name was Hulk and you thought he called him the Hulk the whole time. And I also believe you said this was the godfather of all race-driven chauffeur movies. <laughs> I, I
2: don't think so. I think all that's lies. Just cause he, yeah, the Hulk. That was his name, Hulk?
0: Hulk? No. But we had we had a couple of checkoffs guns going on here. Um, one is that Alfred Urie clearly shows us that Dan Aykroyd's character, whose name is Bully, in the film, is not a racist. He's like a pretty chill dude. He owns a, a factory and he treats his people of color that he are under his employment with respect and care. Then. Mm-hmm he meets this woman who is clearly like a materialistic gold digging racist. And I kept thinking that we were gonna play out that arc where he was going to see what an ugly individual she was on the, on the inside. And then they end up getting married and have children together. So I was like, well, that's kind of a weird setup. Why did you introduce this character to be such a, like an icky person if you're not going to address that? The reading they they set up Miss Daisy teaching Holt how to read in that one graveyard scene and then they never go back. I was expecting to have like at the end, like how great would it be when they're in that retirement home and he'd be reading a book to her. I mean, you don't even have to say, Oh Holt, you learned how to read. You don't even have to say that. You could just know it and feel it. I know it's like Jessica Tandy's. Jessica Tandy
2: impersonation that was so good.
0: Thank you. Well yeah,
1: there's a lot of things where it's like they just checked it off like yep, she taught him something, done. Moving on. And there wasn't a whole lot of like like with Green Book like you felt like their friendship and I mean like it with driving Miss Daisy it just felt like they were checking off a list of things they had to get through.
3: Yeah.
0: It was yeah. not well constructed well, story-wise.
3: Yeah, and and in in the Green Book like you said, you when you saw him take those glasses at the beginning and throw them in the trash, you knew that you know, you knew something was going on there. You knew he had some, you knew he was racist, you knew he, you know, there was some tendencies there. And then when he started working for Dr. Shirley, once he started to get to know him and seeing how how other people treat him, he started thinking, well, this is is not fair. This is a good guy because he got to know this person as opposed to him just being black. This is this person. But the other thing about Dr. Shirley that I thought was very fascinating is that he was not only a, a, a black man, He was also a a prodigy who was a piano player who was awesome. And his entire life was built around that. So not your typical normal black kid. He was, this is what he did his whole life. And on top of that, he's gay. So all these things going on at once, this guy really has no category he fits in at all. No matter what would happen, he fits all those categories. I mean, he's like an outsider no matter where he is. And, um, and I thought that was very interesting because that's even a that's, that's a huge obstacle to overcome um, for the Vigo Mortensen character also is that he's it, there's all these things, you know, it's not just that he's black. There's all these other things in there that, you know, that he would also you would think have issues with.
2: Great moment when I think it was when they got out of jail and um, Vigo says something to Dr. Shirley and, and he gets frustrated. So he, he gets outside and he's walking in the rain. Oh, it's because he was saying you don't know your own people. You're I'm blacker than you are. That kind of that that whole bit. And he got out and he was like, "Look, I'm not white and I'm not black. So what am I? Where does that put me?" Exactly what you are saying, Jim. And and that was such a powerful moment because in that you know he you could see Vigo sort of be like oh, he's kind of you know he was coming breaking through all these barriers of his own sort of uh, mind, I guess. And 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 that was a, certainly a powerful moment of acting. Where you felt that, at least I did, feel that for him, like he's like, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Yeah, and uh, that was yeah. a pretty strong moment. It, it, so many great things in that movie. It, it was funny, but on it, not uh, not typical Fairly Brothers funny. It was just the performances were brilliant. And the script was really good, and and just enough of that racist yucky content to make it work, and and and, and so that you could see the transformation that happened. You know.
0: I love that everybody seemed to have an arc in Green Book, whereas everybody, Dan Aykroyd stayed the same, Daisy stayed the same, Holt was always cool and stayed cool. Like nobody changed. It was more of a slice of life with an implied change, but they're really...
2: It was their hairlines that changed. That's the only thing that oh changed. Oh, my life.
0: Lord. Could Those you wigs. Make a bigger bald cap on that. And they won for Best Makeup that year at the Oscars. It was nuts.
1: There was a backlash against, like, Green Book when it won Best Picture. And, I mean, I guess I I understand. But at the same time, it's like, whatever people's issues were with that, like I feel like Driving Miss Daisy actually had them. And I'm not negating whether or not they're in the Green Book either. But, I mean, what is the lesson in Driving Miss Daisy? You know, I don't know that there really is one. Yeah, like there, it doesn't feel like I, I don't know that there was some sort like somebody learned a lesson. We're meant to assume
3: she does.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think should so. we should we talk about the mm-hmm. backlash when that movie came out?
3: Daisy or or
0: no, what no movie? one seemed to. I mean, what? Who was,
2: really oh, yeah, yeah, was
1: fine. going <laughs> to
0: offend? Nobody. <laughs> they did. I guess there were there were a few bad reviews of people not happy with Morgan Freeman's performance because they thought he was too catering, but that was very much the time of if you wanted to have employment, you had to be yes sir, yes ma'am, and just sweet as pie to everybody if you wanted to. And it was just the
1: dialogue too.
0: But, um, yes, So I don't, I I guess I
2: I must have been asleep at the wheel because I don't know what the um, controversy was as far as uh, Green Book. What was the big controversy that
3: year?
0: Well, apparently uh, Mr. Shirley's family wasn't completely supportive of all the choices made.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, Spike
0: Lee had a big reaction of, of feeling like or thinking that movies in, in- American cinema, if they're going to depict an African-American and a white person, the African-American character is there solely to help enlighten and show the growth of a white person. and he's just not a fan of that kind of storytelling. So it got just a little, it got everybody a little bit up in arms. And I. I the only thing I would counter to those opinions would be, well, do we, then we can't make movies. It, we can't try. Should we not try to address these relationships?
1: Right. Whether or not Green Book should have won Best Picture is another discussion. But it's like there are, it wasn't a movie, I wish I could think of one off the top of my head where it's like really like hardcore dealing with the the realities of racism and, and stuff like that. And I mean- Do I the can, right thing. Sure, do the right thing. And and um, uh,
2: Green Book- No, I'm telling I, you to do the right thing, Zach. <laughs> what do you think I was telling <laughs> you? Throw the trash can. <laughs> um,
1: but you know, I mean, Green Book, I guess, is a comfortable- take on a very difficult issue and people are like oh well and I, it's true i mean like the majority of the people that like when they got the oscar for best picture was a bunch of white people up there um but it was also produced by octavia davis i think <laughs> so so check that.
0: that before you put that out there
1: <laughs> <laughs> or if she was attached she was definitely
3: attached to it at one point um <laughs> Well, and here's the thing too, when you, when you're, when there's a movie like this and, and it's hard because it's like anytime, anything uh, tackles a very controversial topic, you're always going to have people that are, you're never going to please everyone for sure. And the thing that I kind of liked about it and the, what I took from it is this is one situation. It did open my eyes to certain things that I didn't necessarily know about. Like, you know, I knew some stuff, but there was a lot of things in there, like, because he was such a well-known person and he had all this talent and he's invited over to these white people's houses to perform and everything, but yet can't use their bathroom. Yeah, that was crazy. That to me just, I mean, you're allowed in the house but you can't use their bathroom. You have to. I could, I, wrapping your head around stuff like that, you know, was hard for me to like, okay, and that at least, and then the Bigel Morrison character becoming more and more accepting of him and, and, and understanding, getting to know people. Cause I mean, that's the problem the racism thing is weird for me in in a sense because it's like you're hating a whole block of people just because of who they are not i mean just because of their color not who they are like if you got to know this person you may like them you may not like them because of their character but it has nothing to do with their color just who they are and you're not giving that a chance you're just hating this group of people and i just it's hard for me i was just gonna
2: say jim cured racism just then (laughs)
3: <laughs> no, I mean, he came well, up with a solution. I mean are absolutely I, right. I, I can't, like, I don't understand people who are like that because you're hating this whole group, but you did. The, this person didn't do anything to you.
2: I hate whole groups of people. I, I hate whole groups of people. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin. It this has to do with their stupidity. Action, or their actions. <laughs> or I don't like stupid do. people. I I can say it. I, I hate. I'm a I'm a, a stupid racist. I hate stupid people. I can care less you your skin well, I mean, color, do whatever way. you
3: want. But you're talking stupid, like unintelligent, or you're talking stupid. Any kind of
2: stupid. <laughs> and I'm the sole judge of it. So not only do I hate, I hate stupid people who are specifically to my version of what my definition of stupid is <laughs> very. The opinions
3: of Steve Walker I, do not necessarily get the opinions <laughs> of the rest of our group. Let's <laughs> put that little disclaimer in there. Good job. Smart.
0: You know, with, uh, my children growing up in this particular day and age, I feel like they are, they're getting so far removed, thank goodness, from some of these historical events that they are reading about. And there is, I think, a great deal of benefit of revisiting some of these things to get a better perspective or or idea of someone else's existence and perception and experiences in life so that there is more empathy and understanding as a whole. You know, my uh, my children could not imagine going to a restaurant and having any kind of barriers for people of color that seems crazy to them. Getting to an experience in a movie like this where it can start showing them the experiences that other people might've had. there's the only... Some good things can come from that, I would think. I mean, I mean, that's just talking, I guess, for my white privilege, but
3: and that's what I agree with too. It's like I understand some people all have, you know, issue with how maybe some stuff is done, but it does show you pieces and show you stuff that maybe you didn't know. And like you said, the especially the younger generation, like our kids. I don't think know all that stuff for sure back then, you know, they don't, I mean, they know there was racism, they know there's racism, but they don't know the extent of what it was like you couldn't go into the same restaurant as someone else, you know, that's, it was like, what? You couldn't use the same bathroom, you couldn't use the same drinking fountain, you couldn't, you know, you had separate, completely separate things. It's like, why? What was the reason, you know, and it's like, Ignorance. Zach and I are
2: both. We're both from yeah. the south, so we have a, a different experiences of racism, <laughs> you know, than people who maybe uh, sure. from out here. Uh, it it's yeah. It That's was awesome. it was growing up. You knew, at least for me, uh, uh, I knew who the racists were. I knew who the real, like you, certain friends could.
1: Well, there wasn't as much of a need to hide yeah, it. They, yeah, they,
2: they were way more yeah, there They were way more out in the open with it. Like I, certain friends couldn't go to certain friends' houses. And uh, there was language and rhetoric that was really, really, it was bad. You know, I didn't like it. And I didn't understand it as a kid. And um, uh, I'm hoping that, that is, society is starting to understand that that's ridiculous. And it's all uh, taught. It's not something you're born with. You learn that because every kid... Like he, I think it was Dennis Miller. No, Dennis Leary. He said, kids are not racist. My kid's three years old. He hates one thing and it's naps, you know? <laughs> so it, 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 yep. hopefully as society moves forward, that that can become less and less. Although it still permeates society today and it's it's much more subtle and it's, it's tricky. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I was just- definitely aware of it, you know, in Texas. I mean, like there was, but- <laughs> At the same time, I feel like like my family was, I mean, my mom, because she was a, a high school teacher, so I mean, like, she was around a bunch of different kids, and uh, I grew up on a lot of PBS, and like, late 80s, early Absolutely. 90s, PBS was very inclusive, and uh, yeah, so it was almost like, I don't want to seem insensitive, but like, a lot of it seemed like good-natured you know, like, I mean, like, it wasn't like, good just saying,
2: racism? Like, racist racism? Oh, people. that's the best kind. That's the best <laughs> kind. I mean, like, and it was against, like, you know,
1: red, white rednecks, too, but it, yeah, it seemed get like... Get that you know. to <laughs> <we're going. laughs> But I'm just, like, I feel like part of it was, like, there weren't people gonna, that were going to stand up and say, hey, this is not great, you know, and the people that maybe it did offend were just going to kind of go along with it. Yeah, I get it. You know? And it is good to have, you know, the conversations. So people understand like what you're saying, it might seem okay with your buddies and stuff, but you know, you got to understand what you're saying and who you might yes, be. absolutely.
0: Saying. I think that is kind of the whole point. A movie like this opens up conversation and that's, I don't and there, think was, another, there
3: was another thing I was going to add because I think our, I mean, my generation, I'm a little older than most of you, but um, I Way grew up older. when I started going to elementary school <laughs> in the 70s. And I started going to elementary school in the mid 70s mm-hmm. um, in Las Vegas. And they started, that's when integration started. And they would bus kids from the other side of town to my school because that's because before then everything was wow. separate. So you have all the black kids going to the one school and all the white kids going to another school. And in starting in the mid-70s, they started busing kids from other neighborhoods so they could start integrating. And that's when I started, it was like first grade. And um, my my best friend was like, My I had a best friend in all the Elementary School, his name was Lester Lewis, and he was my best friend. And I never knew right. any different that, you know, because I was such a young person at that point and had a and had Lester as my friend. I never knew any different. I didn't really know. And I think that's when it started, maybe that's, and, and I was also in the West, you know, so there wasn't, I don't think as much as there was in the South. What state are you from? Um, I, I was born in Connecticut, but I went to, I, I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada when I was, um, yeah, when I was five. So I started um, kindergarten and elementary school there. And that's when all this started. And I was, so I, I think I just didn't know that there was an issue. And your parents aren't racist. So that helps. Yeah. They pay, yeah parents were not racist. Yeah but i mean also it's just it, it's weird that timing that's when it just started changing because i then i found out just before, i mean not 3 or 4 years before that it wasn't like that at all you know it was like a completely different almost world at that point so they were trying at that point to start integrating everything so i think that's maybe where my point of view comes from because that's what that's what i was introduced to at a very very That early was age. in the in the you know, 80s or the se-
2: late 70s early that's not that long ago if you think about it you know what i mean
3: no this is like 77, know, 78,
0: so, uh, yeah. But you know, outside, outside of, you know, racial issues, just watching these two movies as relationship movies, I enjoyed Green Book so oh, much yeah. more. It makes me think about the the episode that Zach and I did with Pretty Woman and Made in Manhattan. They were almost identical stories about relationships and you felt so much more for the relationships in Pretty Woman. And part of that was the way they constructed it is that the two main characters spent all of their time together. The real estate on screen, they were in like one hotel room for the majority of the movie or one hotel. The same with Green Book, they kept these two main characters in close quarters, whether they were sleeping in the same room or driving in the same car all the time. Whereas in Driving Miss Daisy, they broke away to tell other stories or go to other places. And there was a, a much bigger disconnect and I think it didn't service them as well. So I thought that was a really smart choice, relationship this, Uh
2: was. I read that the, his performance, um, uh, Ali, was the longest screen time anybody ever had for a supporting actor role. Like, so how much screen time he had was the most, I think it was an hour and 20 minutes total screen time is the most of any other actor. Uh, do you know what the least is? Oh, I, I don't, do. and I don't, and I didn't have to look it up. I already knew it in my head. What is it? I forgot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's Anthony Hopkins in uh, *Sounds of oh, the Lambs*. Yeah, he's yeah. only on screen for 30 the minutes.
0: Lambs, yeah. Oh my gosh, I think I did know that. Oh. Way to go, Steve!
2: Trivia. <laughs> <laughs> but he, but he was was he a, a supporting actor
0: or a regular
3: actor?
2: In in Silence of the Lambs?
0: Oh, I thought, for some reason I thought he, he was All uh... oh, you theater kids out there that get a bit part, you make yeah. the most of it.
2: I wrote, I'm checking it now just to make sure I wrote Anthony Hipkins Damn it, so now what do I do? I don't know how to use the internet, so
0: Well, I saw this and thought it was really cool, which is I had, you know I thought it was really interesting that Tony Lip because he was portrayed by Vigo in the film to be such a smoosher, you know? And then to see that he later went on and somehow schmoozed his way into some of these really high profile gangster movies was just insane. I also like that um, 633 Stag Trail Road at Pity for Yourself posted it. So that I thought that's really cool. Um, but I loved seeing the casting because both movies were cast absolutely incredibly. We want to talk about all the production design, like the set design for the period pieces, the cars, the costuming. Um, Green Book had the 1962 Cadillac Sedan DeVille, and uh, Daisy had the 19, 1949 Hudson Commodore Custom Eight Sedan. They're really, really important. Uh, all those pieces so you can't you can't dismiss the costuming and the set design and the cinematographers and the the DPs, the director of photography. For both of these movies, but in particular, Green Book, were out of this world. But I thought this was great. So here's the real uh, Dr. Shirley and Tony, and then here is the casting. I don't know. I think they did a really As good job. As we were
2: watching this today, my dad let me in on a story that he and my grandfather went to see this guy play the piano.
0: No, get out! Is this like the same story that they had RoboCop at the school, and then they you didn't? No, I here?
2: remembered. Uh, no, wait, you're mixing two. It was yes. No, this actually happened. He just told me. He just told me this today that him and, and my grandfather and I, some other people in the family went to go see this guy play piano because my grandfather was a piano teacher and they went to go see him. Yeah, isn't that crazy? My dad's so old.
0: how old? He's is so he?
2: old that I can't make a joke about it. Oh, <laughs> oh. Love you, Dad. One of the eight people listening to this right now.
0: Did they watch? Did your folks watch
2: today? Yes, they, we all watched it together <laughs> today with the dogs. It was great.
3: Oh, what oh they, they loved it.
2: They had already seen it, so I was very concerned that my dad would ruin it because he has a tendency to do that. He'll, he's the guy that you sit with the movie and he goes, "Oh, you're gonna like this part." Like, shut up! I'm gonna like it or I'm not gonna like it. And they would a couple of times, and my mom too would like the scene starts and they both go, "Oh." So I'm like, oh shit, something sad's about to happen. It's something did, sad. But I kept waiting for somebody to die and nothing did. So, oh, spoiler alert, nobody did.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we were so confused watching Dra- Driving Miss Daisy because that was the one we watched together. And there was such a weird disconnect between like the campy, happy Hans Zimmerness of it all versus the, the tone of the movie. So sometimes it would be very dark and dreary, but then most of the time they're like, it's all now, good, let's go to the... Remember that? Thing. It was like right
2: after something terrible had happened, and the music comes in like...
0: <laughs> A really bad scene transition and abrupt cutting. I didn't like it. And then I read that Hans Zimmer's score was done completely with synthesizers. There was no orchestra.
3: Well, it was 1989, so that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> you work with Flock of Seagulls, and... Um...
0: Whereas uh, the composer for for Green Book, composer for Green Book was uh, was somebody named Chris Bowers, and he recreated all of the piano solos for recording that were done in the production. He helped teach Ali how to have like basic piano skills so he could at least fake it on screen. And then, of course, they used you know contemporary American IP music soundtrack to kind of help bolster the, you know, the selling of the time period. is really interesting, I'm doing that on my current Netflix series, the picking out decade specific music. It's really, really interesting to see the catalog of how much something costs to put in a movie. Like if you really want a specific song that was popular, You're going to pay such a hefty price. I would
1: love Um, to see that list. That sounds so interesting. I did a part of,
2: uh, sidebar, part of uh, a big part of my job several years ago was replacing all the music for uh, the show Alias and Felicity, two of J.J. Abrams that they were going to put on Netflix. So all those songs, if you remember, Felicity uh, specifically had a lot of popular music every episode. So they had to pay for those licenses and uh, they did not want to pay for them. So they took all the music out And then we had to go back and replace all the sound effects in the sections that they took the music in.
1: That's why Freaks and Geeks took forever to come out on DVD because they they did pay for all the songs. And so it was the original soundtrack. And I mean, it sucks that you have to pay. I mean, it sucks you have to pay so much. But it's like... Not if you're the the musician. Well, exactly. The rights holders or whoever for a song 30, 40 years old or older.
3: It's not only the artist, it's the artist, the writer, the publisher. So it's like, you're playing Warner Brothers, you're paying this the singer, you're playing the songwriter. So you're, there's a lot of different people you may be playing because they own different pieces of the rights of the the song, which adds all, you know, all adds up and they all have to agree. Someone says, I'm not gonna sell you the rights so you can't do it.
0: Right now I have only, I I can only choose songs within the Sony library. And then I have to also be budget-minded of the access to Sony songs, how much everything costs, and then look at the overall budget, see yeah. what we can afford. There's all these little rules that you have per episode that you can only play you know, anywhere from 30 seconds to the entire entirety of the song. If you're going to reprise anywhere, you have to think about how much time you've actually played it on screen. So you've got to pay maybe only 15 seconds here Maybe 30 here.
3: And it's amazing that it, someone sat down and had to think about all these different Lawyers, lawyers, lawyers. Up. Those lawyers are going to take a lot of money because that takes a lot of time. It's picking up every single type of situation. It's like, well, what about this? How about this scenario? We want to play it twice or half the song. But but know it the sucks songs.
1: because, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic, I guess, but like you could never make like, um, like a Beastie Boys album from the 80s where it's like all these samples and like. You could no, just yeah. Work. No. And now you'd have to pay three million dollars. Hey.
0: Yep. Oh my gosh. Speaking of money, green book budget, 23 million dollars. Wow. And what was I think Driving Miss Daisy was seven and a half million. Seven and a half. I know these are 30 years apart.
2: Yeah.
1: And I know. Well, I need to get my inflation yeah, It's calculator. Probably the
2: same. Actually, Green Book sounds relatively cheap.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it's probably about the same really.
0: Like I said, everything, uh, they only had one one day to film in New York, and even though everything was filmed in Louisiana for Green Book, they said that those storms that they experienced that they, on film, were actually happening in Louisiana at that time. They just filmed through the storm, so it wasn't a production man-made storm. Wow. Weird. So,
2: I, before we get into uh, Metacritic, I need to know if Zach would hang out with the directors, and I wrote a song asking Zach that thing, and here it comes. Zach, would you hang <laughs>
1: for,
2: <laughs> Would you hang I don't know. Can you tell Zach? Nice, love it. So, <laughs> would you hang out with?
0: Not to laugh over the song because it's so quiet, I can barely hear so, it.
2: We'll turn it up. Break
1: that shit, Bruce
2: Beresford or. Peter Farrelly, I feel like if you had to choose. That is a great question.
1: Um, you know, I don't know anything about uh, Brother no. Bruce, you know, other than this film. So it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to say. Um, on the one hand, I mean, I Dumb and Dumber, one of the funniest movies ever, ever in ever. my opinion, ever. I mean, the first one is like fucking oh, solid. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, I don't know, he, the people have said he's been, he's had some bad behavior against women, I guess, oh. at some
0: point. Uh, which, oh, whoa, 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 <laughs> hold the phone. What have you heard? I don't know anything about Peter and Get the Get that brothers, disclaimer like... ready, Jim. <laughs> oh, I was, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, 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 I don't know. Allegedly. <laughs> Dump button.
3: Allegedly.
1: Oh, I was watching a video about, um, you know, like why, about the backlash against Green Book. And um, one of the things they brought up was that like, like, oh, well, um, the writer of the, the, the sun guy that wrote the film was had an Islamophobic tweet, Islamophobic tweet. Allegedly. And uh, Peter Farrelly had some allegations or something like that. I don't know, but based on a filmmaker, I'd, I'd probably have to pick him.
2: Okay,
0: I was gonna um, say to Peter, but now and I that's don't all the time
2: we have for would Zach know so
0: uh <laughs> know, luckily only happen. Zach has to answer this question.
1: <laughs> Zach's vague uh accusation. And everyone
0: do a deep dive on the Farrelly brothers after this.
2: I know, do it right right now. Okay, so let's do this.
0: Jim, his thing is Jim. So much white Ooh. overbiting happening. Yeah, it's me. pretty good
3: stuff. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. All right. It I'll, just says
1: sexual misconduct. That's all it says. Sorry. Oh, no. that's
0: it. All right. Well, no, if you know who hasn't? I,
1: I haven't. haven't. You know, remd- misconduct. <laughs> right who now.
2: has? Which one of you has? That's what who I is. want to know.
3: Shimmy. Allegedly.
1: We. Ha- you haven't gone through this episode yet without <laughs> sexual misconduct.
2: <so.
3: laughs> True. Oh, oh goodness. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, what you got for us? Uh, all right, let's go through this quickly. Um, you want me to go through, I'm gonna go through the numbers. I know you talked about driving this daisy. The budget was seven and a half million. Oh, by the way, Steve, um, I thought I was turning down my mic when I was clearing my throat and I was actually turning it all the way up. So you're gonna to have to edit. I was like, wait a second. Why is it my start turning green? Uh, because I turned it the wrong way. Uh, that's all the so, time we have
2: for. Sorry, everybody. We ran out of time. Uh, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next time for spaceships.
3: <laughs> Go ahead. All right. Uh, numbers: uh, seven and a half million was the budget for Miss Daisy. The opening weekend was December thirteenth, nineteen eighty-nine. The opening weekend gross was only seventy-four thousand, um, which isn't that unusual because the type of movie it was back then. You know, there's, it, you know, everyone ran to the theaters to see these types of movies. Um, the total gross was $105 million, wow. um, which because got all the hype from got the Oscar buzz and everything. Um, the worldwide gross was $146 million, And the runtime, like you said, was one hour and 39 minutes. Um, whereas the Green Book, the budget was $23 million. The opening weekend um, was November 18th, 2018. The opening weekend gross for U.S. was 320000 Again, not huh. huge, the type of movie it was. But the total U.S. gross was $85 million. Um, after all the hype, and then the worldwide gross was 322 million. Wow. So So worldwide, you know, I, as you know, as as we get on the decades, the worldwide uh, gross definitely goes up because of all the distribution that we can do now. How much was the budget for Daisy? 7.5 million. Oh, okay, so that would be
2: 139 million today, according to the inflation calculator. So pretty close. Oh no way! Wow. I, I wrote I wrote 1867. For Sorry, never mind. I meant wrong year. 1989. 20, sorry, uh, that was the 16 bit. million dollars. Not that would be 16 million dollars. Tonight.
0: Okay, not an accountant.
2: No, I am yeah. not.
1: Okay, yeah, a little more than driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. even. yeah,
2: yeah.
3: All right. Uh, so, audience and critic reviews. Um, Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 81, and the Rot- the audience score was 81. The Rotten Tomato score was 82. So, oh. really close. Um, the critics, I grabbed uh, Gene Siskel from the Chicago Oh, Gene, RIP. Right one of the year's best films, a rarity in that a play has successfully transferred to film without having the dialogue seem written. So he was uh, a big fan of the fact that, you know, the, the dialogue was really, really well done in this, considering it was a play. Uh, Jay Carr from the Boston Globe. Freeman is note perfect. With hoax dignified warmth and tandy whose every moment on screen is an acting lesson turns in what by far is the most hauntingly elegant performance of the year
0: really hauntingly well
3: I mean, that was, was in 1989 haunted? so i don't know what the I was don't it haunting other...
2: because she She's... looked like a skeleton at the end oh. right. <laughs> we
0: thought
3: her
0: wasting away listen she listen jessica can act she acted the crap oh, she out she of that did. character she, she just she just wasn't a likable character and that's right. really tough to watch because right. Morgan Freeman is just, you want to be Morgan Freeman's best friend, no right. matter where he is. Love him.
3: All right. Metacritic. The Metacritic score for, this is Driving Miss Daisy, 81. The user score was an 8.2. So both were very high. And I grabbed a few Metacritic reviews of, as always, Metacritic number one, Johnny Five is Alive. Gave it a seven. I like this film, not as much as the other Best Picture nominees that year, but don't nod on the performance of Candy and Freeman. The relationship in the, is the entire movie. They walk the line, subtle with grace. Dan Aykroyd is okay, but feels forced as a character. The story is what drags this one down. Morgan Freeman's whole character has heart and soul, but lacks depth. Jessica Tandy's Miss Daisy. Is just racist enough at the beginning to be believable, but not too much that would make a 1980s audience uncomfortable. Well done. That's a good okay. review.
0: That was Steve. What? That was Steve. That was Steve.
3: <laughs> well, he preferred the, new one <laughs> of the short Nine, circuit. Johnny
0: Five Alive. Come on, yeah. short circuit reference. <laughs> Shh, dead boy. Ah. Dead.
1: not in it. He's not interested. That's fine.
3: <laughs> All right, and this next one from Matt Brady '99 also gave it a seven. Um, Very similar review to um, Johnny Five is Alive. While Driving Miss Daisy isn't what I call a best picture winner, since there were more deserving movies that came out that year, but the movie shouldn't get hate just for that. The movie is sweet, charming, and heartwarming. This is the kind of film that grannies go to watch and after it's over say something like, that was nice. Morgan Freeman and t- Jessica Tandy were excellent in this movie as both of them had great chemistry and had very entertaining conversations between them. It does get kind of dull at times and I do wish the film's pacing was a bit better, but that's just me. I say it's worth checking out because there's plenty of things to like and appreciate in this movie. So that was that one. And then the last one is Gloman, and he also gave it a seven. Driving Miss Daisy is a very simple movie to t- dep- depicting the relationship between Miss Daisy and her driver Hope. It is simple. In the sense that there isn't much extreme stuff happening, you basically just see how Miss Daisy and Hope talk while they're driving together. I miss- no X games. <laughs> I know. I missed some of the large. I missed some of the large events, some sort of large twist in the story. But I was disappointed. Yeah, no. Yeah. I think she said she missed. She she wished there was something. I'm assuming. <laughs> to be honest, if you watch the movie, if you watch a movie like this, just with a bit more drama, action, and so on, but I highly recommend The Green Book.
1: A kind of a twist. So that was a review so. for Driving Miss Daisy. Oh!
3: It was, it was a review for Driving Miss Daisy, and they're saying that, you know, if you just want a bit more drama, action, and so on, he recommends The Green Book. Interesting.
0: So is that some uh, review that was more recent then? That was a
3: more recent. Yeah, that was a more recent one.
0: And you said she but it could well, be well i said, I, you know she? what
3: it's gloman so it's probably a he g l o m m a n i don't know gloman. gloman gloman gloman
0: i like how whoever it was they broke it down a little bit <laughs> it was simple meaning not complicated yeah. so <laughs> <I'm laughs> like what
3: stuff <laughs> happening is what you say basically but yeah so those are the three. Do you want to pick Steve's out of this one or do you want me to go to the Metacritic yeah. for the other one first? Do, yeah, which one do you think was me? So it's uh, Johnny Five is Alive, Matt Brady 99, and Gloman.
0: I'm gonna go Johnny Five with my first instinct.
1: That was my first instinct as well. And Steve, which one was yours?
2: Um, well, it was Johnny Five is Alive. <laughs> it does have a palindrome in it, don't nod. <laughs>
0: Hmm. Don't
2: wait. It would be don't nod T, right? Don't D O N T. Oh, don't the yeah, T is yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah, don't right. nod. Sorry. On the performance.
1: On nice. the performance.
0: Never know. I'll never know.
1: It's well, I just crazy. I felt Every like
0: week it's the same thing. I never know.
1: Who else would make that their screen name? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I, mean,
0: uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I forgot what the other one was. So I, I, hopefully it's not as uh, obvious. I thought it was going to be <laughs> yeah. hard because I read the reviews and I was like, oh, I can totally copy. Oh,
3: and I, and I, and I, I again, did great I picked job. a job. first and then went to yours and I'm like, oh my God, this is almost exact. And I was going to take it out. I'm like, no, I'm going to no, keep it." No, make them. That's good, Jim. That was really oh, good.
0: No. no, that was, those were really, really close. Yeah. It's only because I know <laughs> you and <laughs> yep. Johnny Five Alive had to Eight. be you. <laughs> yeah.
3: All right. Let's go to the green book. Rotten Tomatoes audience score was a 91. The Rotten Tomatoes score was 77. Mm, 77 uh so no, 77 yeah huh. so higher
1: critic score lower audience
3: no hi i'm sorry the audience score was 91 the rotten oh. tomatoes oh. uh critic score was 77. which is snobby critics
0: oh, okay. yeah hmm. i would have thought the
3: opposite so i i picked uh critic alex bentley and he said but so many other recent movies finding a way to address racial issues is both entertaining and can cons- with, I'm going to do this one over again, Steve, cut this out. <laughs> nope. Uh, with so many other recent movies finding a way to address uh, racial issues in both entertaining and considerate methods, Green Book feels like a wrong-headed throwback. It may give you some good feelings, but its message is only half-baked. Huh. So Disagree. And then Brian Eggert. Yeah, Brian Eggert says, tears will be shed, laughter will be had, and the crowd will love it. The viewers may not always feel good about how those reactions are achieved. Despite the overwhelming feel goodness of the experience, you can see Green book gears operating. Sure. So he liked it. The other guy liked, it. I think he liked it. I think it's, it's part of that thing that we talk about that, you know, whole racist thing. It's like, yeah, racism and yeah. trying to those solve the, it in a those movie. Those are
0: the critic responses. Those
3: are the critic responses. And this is Metacritic. Metacritic <laughs> score of 69 and a user score oh. of
0: 8.0. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately,
3: uh, Metacritic number one, uh, Frank O'Lantern. He <laughs> said, I love this movie. Basic plot is a gruff Italian wise guy played perfectly by Mortensen is hired to drive a high class virtuoso pianist through the deep South in the early 1960s. Not to give it away but Dr. Awkward shows up in Morton's Tony Lip character. His racist tendencies are challenged and the two become friends in this delightful and sometimes tense buddy film that has a heart. Buddy film? Yeah. that's interesting. Acting by Ali is superb and worthy of, a, of his best actor Oscar. He plays Dr. Shirley with the proper amount of poise and vulnerability that makes this movie a classic. And then this next review is from Brian McCritic. He gives it a nine. <laughs> he says a a film that tends to be glossy on some of the subject matters but because of its phenomenal chemistry and performances by Vigo and Ali you can't help but laugh and cry definitely the feel good film of the year overall a low nine in a Hmm. I really like that low nine and yeah low nine and this is (laughs) Metacritic and this is just uh John 2.1 that's all it was. This based on a true story film is an unexpected surprise. Few films are able to combine compelling drama and comedy without stretching one genre or the other. If you had given me a list of 100 candidates for the role of a, semi, a semi-educated 1960 nightclub bouncer from the Bronx, I probably would have placed Regal Mortensen um, at the bottom of the list oh. as a likely candidate for this role. As he knocks the role of Tony Lip out of the park, Ali, who won an Oscar for the role as the ominous drug dealer in Moonlighting, is no less surprising as the somewhat prissy and bottled-up jazz prissy. pianist Prissy. That's a good word for him. Yeah. In balancing yeah. issues of racism and violence with, with laugh-out-loud laugh humor, director Peter Fairley is the film's third surprise. Fairley is most famous for the dopey and bass comedies like the Dumb and Dumber Flicks. I was amazed by Farrelly's deft handling of transition that the movie from Tony's knuckle headed ignorance insights to the humiliations heaped upon the refined black man in the mid 20th century deep South by the hypocritical sophisticates. Green Book is an emotional, artistic, and fulfilling gem.
0: That was Steve.
3: I
1: think Franco Lantern was
3: Steve. Oh, oh, oh,
1: oh.
2: Well, and Steve, <laughs> you were. Franco Lantern, Zach. Doctor oh, Awkward. Doctor Awkward. Yeah, That's a palindrome.: The third one was
1: just too long. He wasn't <laughs> going to spend that. Yeah, time exactly. Yeah. Review.
0: Well, I wondered because he just yeah. watched it today and could have been. You very know, I read inspiring. that they were thinking
2: about. Um, as far as Driving Miss Daisy, they were thinking about having Bette Midler and Eddie Murphy play those roles. Those were some of the people that they had considered. Driving Miss Daisy. Yes. Oh wow
1: interesting that totally is a different, different, that's a totally different movie,
2: movie right? yeah, yeah. Uh, i i saw a list of people it was like uh, a, a bunch of people that you wouldn't want to see
0: Katherine hepburn betty davis Who? lucille ball lauren bacall those people Hansberry. still very no. well they were in
3: 1989 uh, yeah yeah
0: yeah and then and but the only black dude eddie murphy
2: <laughs> well he that was the
0: only other choice. It was either Morgan Freeman or Eddie Murphy and that was it. But <laughs> but we could have Catherine Hepburn or Betty Davis or Lucille Ball or Lauren Bacalli. He probably would have done a Lizard. fine job,
2: but it would have been a little more campy maybe. I don't know.
3: Yeah, That's interesting,
0: you're mm-hmm.
2: right. Cause
3: I mean, how many, there wasn't a lot of really big black actors back in the eighties.
0: Eddie wasn't ready no. for those. Like that, yeah, needed, he, that needed a more mature gentleman Oh yeah,
3: with, for sure. That, I don't think it definitely would not have been the same.
0: Has he ever even done like a
1: serious film at this point?
0: Oh gosh, that's a really good question. I don't think
3: so. Uh,
2: what about, um, about oh, what was it called? The Nutty Nutty Professor. God oh, damn it. The
1: <laughs> Nutty Professor was hilarious. Oh, Haunted Mansion.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Terrible.
0: <laughs> that is a Maybe we should look that up. I feel like he has done a serious role and I've probably just missed it somewhere. He seems like he would want to try something.
2: Harlem Nights? That wasn't really a comedy, was it?
0: I don't know. I don't know if I saw that. I don't know. Listen, Dan Aykroyd only did one serious movie, so maybe there's that little blind spot. was
1: also in My
3: Girl, Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, he was the dad. I think it was hard back then. I mean, you had like, I think we talked about Tom Hanks and stuff We're able to cross over. Ooh. But back then you got pigeonholed. And if you were a comedian, that's the movies you made. It's like, it was hard to have people like, only a few were able to make that transition. Now I think they're giving people a little more leeway, but I think back then it was like, this is the thing. Yeah, Robin Williams was able to successfully
2: cross over back in the eighties and uh, Billy- It Christ- was a big deal, yeah. Billy Crystal.
0: Not, not every comedic actor wants to cross right. over. Right,
2: right.
1: Then you'll have something like Jim Carrey, where he's like, "I'm doing Chapter Twenty Three, like this, like dark, yeah. like they take a really, or I guess the majestic was his first like big uh, dramatic role, but yeah, everyone. It seems like now every comic actor has to do it yeah. at some point.
0: Jim Carrey, Adam I can imagine Santa, Jim Carrey having a really hard time, just years because to do uncut gems,
3: yeah, oh, that's true. uncut
0: gems.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. and Punch Drunk Love, which, oh, which yeah. has funny moments in it, but oh,
2: Chef's yeah. Kiss. Oh, she-
1: Love punch rock.
2: So I think it's time to. Uh, I say, if I have to pick one of these movies, it's it's got to be Green Book, even though there's a special place for uh, Driving Miss Daisy because of Morgan Freeman's performance. Uh, I think that just based on the overall story and and how the movie grabbed me, Green Book is
3: the winner for me. I agree, Green Book for me too. The characters, I mean, I like just Viggo Morrison's character and Ali's character, just the way they how complex they were. They were really good and how they transitioned and became together. I mean, that was, to me, I love, I, I kind of love those, those, those relationship types things where it's like, you know, especially when you have, like, you have the, the two strong men who are trying to like, they have their definite points of view and then they come together and in and, a and, and realistic type of way. I kind of like that a lot, you know, and then, plus I got to see most of my relatives sitting around a dinner table. So that was kind of
0: nice. back to my childhood. So then, I will know I know I know I have an Italian question. So pasta, pizza, marinara, alfredo, what is it for you? What would what would be if you were that character? What's what's your big
3: My big, you know what, for for Christmas, our family tradition for Christmas is monogat, which is a homemade, it's almost like they they call manic, they call it manicotti here in America, but it's called monagat. And basically, You have
2: manicotti for breakfast? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah steve knows steve but we basically it's just like a it's like a pasta it's a pasta shell that you that we make you know from scratch and then just put you put like the parmesan che- you put parmesan cheese ricotta cheese and then mozzarella cheese and you mix it all together with a little bit of basil you put it in, you know in the shell fold it up you know almost like a almost like a burrito type of thing and then you put them in the pan and then you bake it it's all together. a
2: pasta burrito and they're delicious i would eat them by the pound when
3: i'd go over to his house and that, that's oh, our. so dish.
0: how long do you cook? so the, the pasta cooks in the oven from raw dough
3: well no we basically you make you have to make each individual thing in a pan first and just heat it you don't cook it completely you're just you pour the mm. dough in there and just heat it enough to make it kind of like a tortilla like thing only not not completely it's baked pasta. Or yet. it's like yeah it's like it's like a pasta that's not cooked so, you're making some of these for the next movie. Oh, my God, year, right? please. I mean, I'll definitely make them. It's, I, yeah, it's, yeah I'll definitely make it it them for you guys. It's, like it, I, I said, it's our tradition. My mom, my grandmother did it, and then my mom did it, and then I took it over. And every Christmas now, it's what we do. Oh,
0: I love it's that. It's delicious. I food. want to watch one day. Do you, then you drown it with marinara sauce, right? Yeah,
3: marinara sauce and sausage, and you have know, sausage. You do a homemade and you know, a And we make a, you make a, I don't make my, what I about mean, your balls? I, what did you say? My mom makes a sauce, but you're I don't
2: like, sauce,
0: so yeah. Your homemade sauce?
2: Did you yes. say something about balls? <laughs> what did you say? Meatballs. Oh, 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 oh I thought you just okay. Sorry, my bad.
0: I'm like hungry. Like, I'm getting a little excited here. I'm <laughs> gonna like slip right off my chair. <laughs> All
1: right, Zach, what do you think? Uh yeah, I mean, I have to agree really with everyone else. That Green Book is the superior film for sure. And I think you know, racism is a big conversation, or you know, racial issues and stuff, putting that into a two-hour film and you have a whole story to tell i mean it's difficult and i think if you look at it as as oversimplified yeah. i mean i would say point to something that really accomplishes like like really talking about this big message you know and i think green book does a good job of at least what it set out to do.
3: Yeah, we're not. You're not going to solve racism in this movie, but you're you're going to bring attention to it. We did
2: solve it in this podcast, yeah. though, Jim. So thanks for that. I'll let everybody know that that's what they can look forward to. Jim solving racism. Oh gosh, good, good job, buddy. But,
0: but really, like, here's the overall question: Was Green Book at its its essence a story about racism, or was it a story about the relationship of these two particular people that? was based on a real life event. So that's maybe fair. maybe it's not fair for the outside public to to push something on it because it had race as a, like a backdrop or a theme because of the time that it happened and really that's when it happened because hmm. it's a based on a true story. Right. Maybe maybe you could have a harsher critique of a film that was all about racism and right. not relationships. So maybe thinking it's getting a little bit um Maybe maybe people have to come at it in different perspective. That's
3: Amber. I think that's, that's, that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. It, it, that's you're right. The movie is more about their relationship than it is about just you know solving racism and this is how we do it.
0: Yeah, it's not a how it's not a how to book on how to end racism. It's just a story about these two people. <laughs> who eat a lot of good food.
3: Um, the food eating scenes, you guys are right. I mean, that when he's eating chicken in the car and he makes him eat chicken, he's like, I, the whole scene just cracks me up. He's like, you gotta try it, you gotta try it. And he's like messy and he, it's so he funny. Throws, it's like he th- he throws everywhere. the
2: bones out, but when he throws the cup out, yeah. he makes him go back and get it. It's so so yeah, So great, Yep. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. All right. Well, hey, guess what? <laughs> that might be it, guys. Well
3: done.
0: Great. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. We'll uh, that's What are you again?
3: gonna be from Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas, fellas. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> yeah, everyone have yeah. a great night. We'll see you next time. Bye.
2: Yeah.
0: Sound effects courtesy of the Soundly app? Go to GetSoundly.com for your complete sound effect platform. Intro and outro music for this episode is District 4 by Kevin McLoyd. Hear more like this on incompetec.com.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody, and be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us a review if you feel like it. Shoot us an email at FilmFightPodcast at gmail.com if there's a matchup you'd like to see. And that's it for this week. Catch us next time for another episode of the Film Fight Podcast.